Welcome to Accounting High. It's patience and perspective over perfection. Yes, yeah, that's what I worked out based on what you said. Like you, you know, it's never going to be perfect. So go right. to have some patience to experiment with stuff and figure and out what's going to work. Perfect. They try to do and everything the perfectly. Perf- yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the perspective, the longer game and the longer perspective on what's the downstream impact of not doing it right. versus just doing it. Like what's the worst that could happen if it's not perfect? Exactly. I think you summed that up perfectly. Yeah, that's because everybody can do it. It's just a matter of do they want to take that risk? Because it's a risk. It's different. It, it's fear of failure. Classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids, do you like operations? It's Wednesday, accounting high, talking systems and processes, talking shop about operational balance. Accounting, workbench to workflow challenges Hybrid teams for Pete's sake I'm trying to manage through screens But I can't figure out which Zoom window's my next meeting And Dr. K says Acuity uses EOS Uh-huh Entrepreneurial operating system Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud Join us as we go deep I'll try not to run it to the ground We're sharing profit and loss And managing back office Attack staff just quit Tried to hire on LinkedIn No luck and scope creep team count cast automate tax compliance transactions id and bottlenecks come on ops scotty wait a minute it's my firm dog i know and i said you could run it however you want hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shopperations at accounting hi classes in Session, it's time for shopperations at accounting high. Introducing the star of our show, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. We do. Like we have every week. Like every week. Jody Grunden. Ackerman doesn't like pronouncing names because it always <laughs> does it wrong i feel like jody grunden i could have got jody welcome we're glad you're here yeah thanks for having me and you live in indiana yes i do i live in indiana and then the firm's really it's it's re- completely remote so we're spread throughout the whole united states and have some team members abroad as well there's a lot of accounting forward thinkers in indiana isn't that where uh darren root yeah indiana. southern indiana yep so there, there's something going on in the water in Indiana. <laughs> I'll start off by saying, I think your firm is the model. I don't know like in my head of how a firm should be run and things that everything that I would like to do with my firm, if I had something to model off of, it would be summit. Ultimately everything, the more I learn, the more clear the picture gets on what my vision is for our firm or just wow. what I think are the good ways of a firm. So I'm just going to start off with that. He says this to I everybody, but I, I, I really don't. For you. Tell us how you 
became a CPA, I guess. So how I became a CPA, actually, I'm the first person in my uh, family that w- went to college. So uh, I, I could say I come from a completely different background altogether. And uh, how I became a CPA, when I was at IU in Indiana University, I was trying to think of a, a way that I could, a profession that I could actually do if I decided I didn't want to work for somebody. And I thought stockbroker or something like that would be kind of cool. And then I realized, well, if I did that, I'd probably move to New York or some big city. I didn't want to do that. And so I thought, well, an accountant, I could actually be an accountant. I think that would be something kind of cool. And if it didn't work out, I'd have something to fall back on personally. And so that's why I chose the CPA route. Had there been classes on entrepreneurship at that point, I probably would have went that route because that's, uh, in, in reality, that's truly what I am. So how long have you been at this? Yeah. So I, I um, took the long route through college. It took me about seven years. I had to I basically work full time for the most part. In I the, use fun, man. I get it. Yeah. It's a great, awesome school. Bloomington. <laughs> I've been there. For, for sure. And, uh, you know, basically I, I went right out of college. I worked, it was about 94, 95 when I graduated somewhere in there. I uh, worked in public accounting for about three years between uh, Crow and BKD. And then I uh, went to the private world. I decided I didn't want to do that public accounting stuff and decided the private stuff was where to go. And I did that for a $250 million manufacturing company for about three years. Thought paint was going to dry. It was the worst experience ever. It was so boring. It was just, it was like Groundhog Day over and over and over again. And so it was one of those things I thought, well, I don't like public accounting and I don't like corporate accounting. Now what am I going to do? And it just happened. I got an opportunity to work for a firm. I worked for them for about a year, left, left the corporate world, worked there for about a year, then decided, hey, it's time for me to go on my own. And uh, soon after, I went out on my own. So in 2002 is when I actually started the firm. Kind of hired my own, basically hired my, my current partner right now. I hired him right out of college. And so it was one of those deals that we uh, kind of started together, kind of made the firm the way it is right now. So there we go, partner. That was one of the things. Um, so Adam Hale. Um, so what is, I guess now let's like, what's your role in the firm and what's his role? Yeah. So our, our, our firm is kind of a non-traditional approach in really every way you can think of the fact that we're completely remote, that we focus on virtual uh, CFO services, and we're built more of a, con- a corporate structure than we are a public accounting structure. So my role is the CEO and his role is the COO. So my role is to come up with the ideas and what we want to do and how we want to implement them. And then and he then executes on those ideas. So two very different roles, but very, very important and necessary for us to, to get where we're at. I think if it was just me starting from scratch, I'd probably be still thinking of all those great ideas. And, and uh, if it was him, he would be just doing ideas and not, not, and not doing, you know, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be growing. So the combination of both of us together has really kind of helped us to go from no revenue in 2002 to we'll be over $9 million, $10 million in revenue this year. So a big, real high trajectory, especially over time. So if you're using EOS terms, it sounds like he's the integrator, Correct. you're the visionary. Yep. You know, just generally speaking, and that is a combination that if you find the right person, it's explosive, as you said, with, you shared with the numbers there. Yep. I'm going to list out a couple of things that you guys are doing that I think I want to talk about just as, as episodes. So you, you know, you're fully remote. Yep. You guys have implemented some form of subscription pricing. Mm-hmm. You're focused on a niche, heavily yep. focused and, and went really deep 
mm-hmm. with that vertical. You guys have a remote team. The way that you compensate the team and the way that you have them involved, you also have the structure of the firm of the you know the way that you have implemented new approaches for team members like and and again this isn't a question this is just me laying out what i know already and mm-hmm. i'd love to talk about these topics so yep. the way you have data analysts and mm-hmm. like engineers so to speak um, yep. working with the team that's that's really new for a lot of cpa firms or just to even talk about that that's a you know and then you guys are very tech forward and all the other stuff you do outside of that like the media the podcast the aicpa you wrote a book like uh, you're a thought leader so where the f- do we start? <laughs> Ackerman, where, where do you want to start with all of these things? Because I could go on for days. Like, So when is... you were starting your firm in 2002, did mm-hmm. you have a vision of, of kind of where you wanted to be or has it kind of evolved over time? Yeah. So when we started in 2002, I, I didn't want to do the traditional accounting approach. So there's a few things that was that was kind of off the table right, right at the beginning. The first thing is when I, when I was in public accounting, we had to have suits and ties. And this is back in 02. Everybody had to have kind of a requirement. When I worked in the corporate world, we made fun of those people when they came and we called them suits and ties. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was one of those things I thought, you know, I don't want to be that person. So I thought we're going to do things a little differently. We're, we're going to dress down and we're not going to dress down. We're going to dress to our clients and our clients aren't typically going to be the stockbrokers of the world type of clients. So, you know, that was one of the big things. Another thing we thought was, you know, we did not want to have our team work more than 40 hours a week. And uh, that was not typical in accounting firms way back then. Uh, you know, when I worked in public accounting, it was 70 plus hours a week during busy season. It was horrible. And it was something I really didn't want to do to our team. So I thought, well, we've got to figure out a way to make that happen. And then the other one, the third one was the hourly billing. When to get rid of hourly billing completely and figure out a different model. Because I was never into the hourly billing. We still track time. We always track time. But Billing by the hour, it, it, we tried it initially, and it was like it seemed like all of our conversations that we have with clients were about our, our bill and did we not itemize it or what was this quarter of an hour or what, whatever. I want to get that, that completely out of the uh, out of the equation and really help the client going forward. So there's some really the, the different. The focus was just changing things that changing the way that we do things and give a different approach to accounting. Right out of the gate, realize that hey, there's when we provide financial statements to clients. You know, they don't care about those things. They don't understand how to read them. The, you know, the, it, there's a lot of things that are negative about that. And, and when I was in the corporate world, I had a whole bookshelf full of freaking financial statements from ever. It seemed like I'd get it three <laughs> months later. I'd slide in the bookshelf, never even open it. And I was like, well, we don't want this to be the case either. So we had to figure out what people wanted. And so in doing so, we actually started reaching out to our clients and figuring out, you know, hey, on this monthly stuff, you know, we turned our tax clients and we said, we're going to meet with them monthly and we're going to figure out what we're going to talk about. We're going to give them a financial statement. We're going to solve that first piece of the puzzle and, and, and figuring out all their issues throughout the year. So when it comes tax time, not a big deal. Tax return should be simple to put together. Uh, well, that worked out really well, except for there's really not a whole lot you can talk about historical stuff that's really going to help a client going forward because they don't care about that stuff. What they want to know is what impact, what, what it did today and how that's going to impact me going forward. And so immediately we thought, well, heck, we got to show them more of a forecast, something that, that we can actually dynamically change so that clients can really make decisions. Because all these big corporations, they have this already built into it. They got a bazillion accountants, you know, and so forth. And they're, they're already putting, putting these analysis together, but these small businesses didn't have that. And so we thought, well, let's be that person. And so we would meet with the client on a monthly basis at that time. We'd go through and show them, hey, here's what happened in, in, in the last month. Here's that 15 minutes. 
And then the next 45 minutes, we show them, you know, hey, based on that, here's what your cash position is going to look like in November. Here's what's going to look like in December. Are you okay if we borrow the line of credit in October? Because that's what it's looking like or not. And then we had those discussions and it's like, well, they'd say, well, what if I hired these two employees or what if I increased this price or what if I did something differently? How does that impact? And we started modeling. Clients loved it. Loved it so much. They said, you know what? Could we do this more often? So instead of once a month, and we're like, yeah, let's do it on a weekly basis. And so we we changed our, our philosophy from going to a tax return to monthly work to weekly work. And uh, so we started weekly work and we had to kind of figure out what we wanted to do with these weekly work because it wasn't going to be the show up and it was going to be the summit show every time. You know, I've run out of things to even talk about. And so we had to kind of define the meetings and we said, well, we definitely need a forecasting meeting because that was that's definitely what people want. No matter what kind of service they get with us, they're going to get a forecasting meeting. Then we also said, you know, we need also need a pipeline meeting, you know, something especially for those clients that are service based. We need to know how, what their pipeline looks like so that we can say, you know, hey, we're going to build this forecast. But their pipeline doesn't match the forecast. Well, we make some we need to make some adjustments because a forecast is only good if your pipeline matches it right or or, or dictates it. So we needed that pipeline meeting. And then we also found out that clients do things a lot differently on the revenue side. So we needed a revenue rec meeting to make sure that when we put our KPIs together, everything lined up so that when we had our KPIs, it was matching the, sto the story was telling a story, right? The the revenue was telling, you know, revenue and expenses were matched up. It, everything was going at a, a nice pace. So for those cash-based clients, we had we converted them to accrual base, did the, did the KPIs. And then we kind of had like a floater type of meeting to, to cover really any odds and ends that we didn't cover throughout the month. And, and so with that, clients really loved that. We defined meetings. We actually met with them. We went over the different areas of the meeting. But then additions, we had some clients that really needed cash flow issues. You know, they were really tough on cash flow. So we thought, well, let's have that meeting every week. Let's have it for like a half an hour, meet with the client, I don't want to meet with a client. Let's let my accountant meet with that client, go through, hey, here's what the next 13 weeks looks like if these bills are paid, you know, this money comes in and so forth. So they could see their runway on a cash meeting. So we we kind of evolved over time on what the clients wanted, kind of listened to them what they wanted and, and evolved that. The nice thing about that, we were able to flat fee our service, but that was the bad thing about it too, because we almost went out of business doing it because we didn't know how to do it. <laughs> you know, we, we, we created this flat fee and it about put us out of business completely. Uh, so we had to kind of figure out, you know, how can we... Was that because you priced too low? Fee? You priced it too low? Yeah, we were, we were way too low. Yeah, way too low. So initially, our average order is like we thought, oh, if someone's, you know, clients are never going to spend more than $10,000 for the service. So we thought, let's price it there. And I was like, we were getting, we were closing about every deal we had. It was kind of funny. We we're like, yeah, we're about 90% close ratio, which is not a good thing. <laughs> no, yeah. it would be like 20 to 30%. We started increasing it because we found out we weren't profitable because we, we were doing all this stuff for them. You know, kind of like the Netflix model, providing all this information, but we weren't profitable at all. And so we started had had to really quickly increase our prices to to twenty thousand, then the thirty thousand. We thought no one's ever going to pay forty thousand. We bumped it to forty thousand. You know, closing ratios are. You're talking terrible. about per month. I'm talking about per year, forty thousand per year. Okay, per year. And so then we went up to we went to sixty thousand, and right now we're right between sixty five and seventy five thousand dollars a month. I mean, or, I'm sorry, a year that a client okay. would pay. But we break that down into weekly payments. So the client pays us actually every single week. So we just ACH their bank account every single week for that weekly fee, whether it's at $1,500 a week or $1,750 a week or $850, whatever that is. It's a weekly perpetual fee, which is super, super nice because we don't have an accounts receivable. So we're a 
a $9 million plus accounting firm with zero accounts receivable. Actually, we probably have negative accounts receivable if you look at it because we collect our money on Pre-pay, Monday yep. before, the, mm-hmm. before the week starts. So yeah, so, so it kind of evolved in that, so in that how, manner. How do, you, how do you structure the firm as far as you've got a lot of stuff going on, tax, CFO yep. level work, and then you've got accounting. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about the structure of your firm and your employees. Yeah, yeah, sure. So so basically we're broken up into pods and we've got uh, right now two pods. There's about, I'd say 18, 19 people in a pod that's directly related to the accounting function. Um, we also have a 401k audit side, which we won't talk a whole lot about, but uh, that's about, I'd say 10% of our business. It's done ex- exactly the same way, but it's completely different than the CFO Fixed side. So, on that? Is it fixed fees? Like yeah, fixed fees front? on that as well. Yeah, yeah it's between ten and $11,000 an audit. They actually go to our website, type in their information, and they get a quote right away. So it's really hands-off, very very simple for them to do. Uh, so the audit audit side really works well with it. But on, this, on the CFO side, we have a CFO. We've got, I think there's like four or five CFOs in a pod. And uh, with that, a CFO is somebody that's basically the account manager, the person that's actually speaking with the client on that regular weekly or monthly basis, depending upon the service level. Uh, below them, they've got uh, account level individuals between, I'd say, four to 12 plus years of experience. They're handling the number crunching. So they're doing the forecasting and they're doing the behind the scenes, overseeing if, if the client wants us to do their bill pay, we'll do the accounting. They're overseeing that function. Then we also have t- a tax individual assigned to the account. So the tax person's job is to make sure that throughout the year they've got tax planners as needed and then they put the tax turn together at the end of the year so our accountants and our cfos do not do the taxes and we did that on purpose because we don't want there to be any interruptions during tax season so we've got an individual doing that outside of those individuals and then we've got the data analyst the data analyst is the person that basically connects the software making sure that if they're using quickbooks online it's connecting and maybe they're using re, or um, maybe harvest or time tracking software whatever that might be connecting all of that dumping it into our database and then pushing it up to our reporting so once our accountants are all done with the financials if if that's what we're supposed to be doing then we will push the data analyst data analyst push it up to the dashboarding and then um, it's it's there for the CFOs then to to give out so We've got those folks. And then if we do the bill pay or if we do any kind of invoicing or anything like that, then usually we have our outsourced uh, folks over in India or the Philippines are handling handling those uh, transactions. And those, again, are overseen by our accountants. So there's a there's basically a team of five or six people per every engagement that's handling the account. So it's, you know, everybody's got their, their specific roles and works really well. You said about 18 to 19 people in a pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And roughly. that's, and five o- outside to six, of the, yeah. outside of the outsourced folks. Yeah. And then that's outsourced is outside of that pod. Mm-hmm. So you, you think know, a pod, so you kind of think a pod can do 4.5 million. Yeah. Are you going to, so are you kind of designing it so that each pod does that? And then like when you need, you can just kind of create a new pod when you get more clients. Yeah. So, so the way that the way that the pod structure works, and we learned this from our creative agencies that we work with, because they have very similar type of structures. Nothing that we ever ever done has been because of us. We don't invent anything. <laughs> we just kind of take what we what works really well. But uh, what they found is that uh, when they get to the twenty five person mark, that's when the pod starts really stretching. And so uh, between twenty five and about thirty five to forty is where we, you know, will continue to add people. And then once we get to that 40 person mark, then we'll take that 50 or that, you know, the, the 10 or 20 or however, whatever that might be, bringing it back down to 25 to start that new pod. 
Because what happens is if you if you go to the 25 and then start a new pod, you're not going to be profitable again because you've got all these different layers. You've got to have it. And yeah. they're, they're not fully utilized. So you've got to push them to the, the stream like the rubber band and then bring them back down um, and then fill that pod up. That's that's the way that you have. To I love that. that. So how and how many clients does a pod have? Yeah. So, so basically a CFO will have about a million dollars in clients, a senior level accountant is going to have about 600,000. Yeah. So if you get about four and a half to 5 million, so you're looking, yeah, 15 clients a person, uh, times five, you know, five, so about 80, 85, something like that. I love it. You have got it down to a science. You have like the ERC or something like random comes up. You've got PPP stuff. Like, yeah, how, do you, yeah. how do you handle that with the capacity? Yeah, so that that's kind of the the built in the, the 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 wow factor, right? And so during the pandemic, when we were going through the PPPs, you know, that was just really part of what we did. So we didn't charge anything more for it. We, we just simply did it, you know, for our clients. I know some of the CPA firms charge, and that's great, but that really wasn't how our model is you know, structured. You know, something like that is supposed to be included in our fee. And uh, so with that. Uh, we got clients forever, though. Our clients loved us and it worked out really well. When you're working in, and you and you're managing a, a client base, and your clients are on, and your your team's only working about 40 hours a week on average, the accountants, the CFOs are working about 45 on average. It's really easy to flex up for another 10 hours or so if they need to do something like that on the PPP. And they they all did. They took on the extra work during that short compressed time to handle that. Now, if if they're working 45, 55, 60 hours a week normally that would have been really tough and that would have been something we would have had to figure out. But because we've designed our structure so that the accountants typically work about 40 to 45 CFOs work between 45 to 50 tops, you know, it it works out really well. So you are effectively setting the expectation, managing the expectation and exceeding the expectation all in one with that, with with the way you just described That's the way you're saying you're going to do everything for the client basically. Yeah. So you're setting that because you're not charging extra for it. So you're not creating a situation where they're demanding this to be done. You're go you're going above and beyond, but also setting the expectation that this will get done and we are going to work with the capacity we have to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah, so we take the engagements all the way up until the uh the exit. So once once they're exiting, then we'll charge them separately through the LOI and, and, and going forward, you know, cause at that point there's, you know, a lot that goes in with that. Uh, so we'll take them all the way up to the LOI outside of that, everything, it, depending, depending upon the service levels they want, it, it's all, all there for them. So like if the way their structure works is that we, during the sales process, we have all the different features all pointed out, Hey, here's what we'll do. Revenue rack. We'll do financial savings. We'll do forecast. We'll do accounts payable receivable, all the different things that we can do. Then the client picks what they want and don't want. So if the client doesn't want us to do any of the accounting, they say, no, 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 no. We don't do any of the accounting. Do they want us to oversee the accounting? Yes. They want to oversee the person they've got there. Yes. And so then we, we've got a very specific uh, SOW or statement of work. We're both in line. And so then when we put our SOW together, we make sure we spell out exactly what we talked about in that uh, sales call. So that the client knows exactly what we're not doing and what we are doing. And then when things like that pop up, then it's not a big deal. The nice thing about that is it, it, it allows our allows the client to kind of change what they want to do throughout the engagement, right? And so, like, let's say they didn't want us to do any of the tax work when we first started because they've got a tax person they've worked with forever. Six months in, they're like, you know, you guys are you guys are you're, you're rocking it out here. 
why don't you guys just do that too? So <laughs> we can pop our, our calculator back up and say, yep, boom, 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 boom. Here's what we've got. Here's the new fee going forward on a weekly basis. And it's that simple. Or in, in a case, so let's say that we're doing all their accounts receivable and, you know, or maybe we're not doing as well as they want or not getting it out as well as they want. And they want to bring that internal. So we pop up our fee again, click it off, boom, here's our new fee. So now it's going to be lower. And then, you know, they, they bring that internal. So we designed it so that the client has full control over what is included and what's not included in their service. So there's really no issues or no, you know, I thought this was included or I thought this wasn't included, you know, so we, we make it very clear from the very beginning scope and we give our CFOs that transparency that when it happens, that there's a change, they're responsible for making that change. We also incentivize our CFOs so that they're very profitable. And so they're not going to pull on scope creep and not charge the client because they know that if they're going to do X, Y, Z, you know, they got to put time to it and it's going to make them less profitable. So we, we incentivize our team or give them variable pay based on profitability. So I want to go back to the, um, the meetings, right? And mm -hmm. we talk about this a lot. A lot of firms are trying to figure out advisory. A lot of them do this on an hourly basis because they can't define the scope up front and it just gets very variable with a client right. and they're letting the client dictate this. What you've done is you've productized and created a cadence for every type of meeting yep. that you could do. And you've, you've almost basically like got it down to a science. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we failed several times. I mean, it took us about 10 years to figure this out. So these, these firms that are trying right now, they're experimenting as well. And, and, and unfortunately they'll see failure a lot because of the, the fact they just don't know how to present these meetings. And, and hourly chart charging by the hour is definitely not the way to go. Clients don't want to be charged by the hour. They want to know what the fee is up front. They, you know, just like everything else. It sounds like you have a niche. So what's what's the niche market that you guys do? We focus, I'd say, fifty to sixty percent of our businesses towards creative agencies. That would be service-based agencies, and in the digital space, they they might be like web design, web development. Uh, they might be SEO, SEM companies. They're typically over a million dollars in revenue on the small end and our average clients about three to $5 million on the average, our biggest clients like 30 million, but we don't have too many of those. We've got a couple, couple of those, but nothing so you, on, the, on the big side. So here's a trend that I've seen too is, or at least that I've been trying that I've been modeling in our firm is our clients mirror us, right? Mm -hmm. So you, your clients, professional services, three to 5 million range, you're above that, but you know how to service that because that's you. Mm -hmm. You're they're a, a reflection. Well, of you, I think right? they've, you, I think you've found a niche that you like to do, right? And you know that niche so well that it's you can fit price it up front because you kind of know all the different ins and outs. And obviously, every client's different, but mm -hmm. well, but I, you I can relate to them. You, you learn from right them. There. It's yeah. a vernacular, right? So I, I know right. the vernacular is that industry, but I, I didn't know when I first started. Right? We, our first, our very first CFO client was in the creative agency. From there, I learned a ton about that client. They're actually fully remote too. So they're the first, one of the first distributed companies in the world. And we got them as a client. It was like really fortunate because I learned a lot about the remote side. And I also learned about how, how they ran their company, and which was very similar to an accounting firm. It was like, well, they track by the hour. They bill their clients on an hourly rate. Utilization is important. I could, e I could easily break down how to be profitable for that type of client because it was the same thing I was doing in my own firm. <laughs> so it was, it was really simple to, to, to go over. Now, if I were to jump to construction, it wouldn't be that much different either. Cause I, it'd be really similar to figure out 
you know, what's profitable, what, what are the drivers of revenue, you know, how do you calculate whip, you know, all those different things would be very similar. And if I start focusing on that, it would be a, a it'd be no different than when the, than the creative agency. It's the fact that that was my first opportunity. I loved it. It was really easy to speak with. They were my type of people, and I could relate really well. Whereas a doctor organization might not be might be harder for me to relate to because we're completely polar opposites. I, I don't, as I mentioned earlier, I you know, I was the first one to grow up with a degree. You know, I don't have. I'm not. I'm not from a family of wealth. You know, I'm not. I'm not used to hanging around doctors and, and lawyers and that sort of thing. You know, so it would have been a different type of practice for me, or different. It would be a step up for me. But maybe for you maybe not different. Maybe that you've got a construction family or maybe, you know, there's something that you really like or are really passionate about or really have a good feel for uh, that could be, it could be dentists. It could be, you know, a brewery. It could be really whatever. There's a lot of different niches out there that you, you could have easily went to and easily figured out. And I think once you do figure it out, you've really got to go towards it. You know, it's kind of funny because we talk about niches a little bit. Um, we didn't really see our growth until we, we niched. We did the CFO service from 2004 to about 2011, we were picking up probably two to four clients a year and we're high-fiving each other and we're like, whoo, we're doing really well. In 2013 is when we actually got, well, 2011, we got our first creative agency. In about 2013, we started getting the flow of, hey, this is kind of fun. Then we started doing speaking engagements and really started really focusing on that niche. And it went from four a year to we, we picked up like 11 in one month and the next month was followed by six i thought we were going to go out of business it was so many clients it was like oh my god <laughs> what are we going to do is it going to be like this forever thank god it slowed down <laughs> and uh yeah. and and now we do about four clients a month you know at about 60 dollars a client and so it, it's really gone from a really slow market to a very high speed market and it wasn't necessarily because we niched our service but it was because we niched into an industry and, you know, again, that com that's comprised of over half our clients, probably, you know, like I said, ha half of our clients, we got about 150 clients that we work with on a regular basis on a $9 million firm. You know, it makes it really uh, super nice. Now, do we turn away clients in other niches? No, we don't. You know, it depends upon the, the niche, you know, like a manufacturing client, we'd probably turn that away or a nonprofit client, we'd probably turn that away. But uh, there's a lot of them that we can pull our experiences from the one and use towards the other, like we mentioned, like breweries or, or uh, you know, really anything else that's service based would be uh, would we build a fall in to handle that pretty well. But again, the focus, our marketing efforts are, are towards one niche. So, you know, you say you don't turn clients away. Do you have specific pods that handle different? verticals or have you structured it that way internally? Yeah, so we're moving towards that right now. So we've got two pods. And so the third pod, uh, we're thinking about spinning it off and really focusing on an additional vertical. Uh, we haven't really identified that. We have, we'll probably go back through our client base and see which client base, where we have the more you know concentration in, whether it's construction or something else, we'll break that out. But that's really kind of the next step in our, you know, our evolution is going mm -hmm. from one vertical and maybe going to five. So do you tailor your prices toward the vertical now when you take on different clients or are you using the exact same pricing model for all of them? Yeah. Well, see our pricing model is designed so that we're profitable. And so yep. it's kind of selfish, but we, we, we try to maintain a 72% profit margin on all of our clients. And we tell our clients the same thing, you know, one fourth, you know, should go to the expenses, you know, three quarters to the direct, you know, gross profit. Then it all weeds out to eventually you're down to 25%, you know, margin before, uh, owner comp, you know, that type of thing. So we kind of, we kind of rotated around the same manner. We, we deal with the same thing. And so if we were going to go to like a different model, we would probably change our pricing a little bit, 
uh, because maybe instead of revenue rec, maybe we're doing whip reporting for construction or, you know, something a little different geared towards that industry that's important to the industry. And we we'd kind of figure out how important it is to that industry. And that's how we would actually price it. So we kind of look at our base dollar amount on what's our break even if we were to actually do it. And then we had like a 10 or 15% air margin and that's our bare minimum. And then we look and see how important that is. And then we, we increase it multiples based on that. And so value. It's kind of, so you're value, value pricing it before you, but your value based fixed pricing, which I think is beautiful. Like yeah, you, it's, you can, it's so yeah. scalable. Yeah. It's hundred uh, percent. You don't have to pick a price for each person based on what they want. You've got it and you know, what's profitable. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. And, and there's two factors that really make a difference there because a million dollar company is a lot different than a $10 million company. So you've really got to scale it based on the size of the company. Mm-hmm. We also scale ours based on the number of employees. So we there's two different factors we use to scale you know, company-wide, you know, size-wise. And we tell clients that. We say, you know, hey, million dollars. And they're like, well, you know, when you when you, when we get you to that $3 million mark, here's what your fee is going to be based, roughly what your fee is going to be. We'll, we'll bump our scale to $3 million and be like, oh, so it's, it's going to be another $50 a week or whatever. It's like, okay, that's pretty reasonable. So it's not a significant jump, but it is once they get to the $10 million mark. You know, $30 million company is a lot different than a million dollar company. You're talking about completely mm-hmm. night and day difference on what you're doing. So it's important to have it scale based on size so you don't get pigeonholed into to a flat fee that doesn't work. So you've got two-factor, eventually maybe it's three-factor. So it's like two-factor authentication, revenue and employee <laughs> count. Yep. Three-factor would be revenue, employee count, and industry as you get to the five sure, verticals. Sure. Like, Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. that's, yep. oh, that's so cool. And you, you're you using just a spreadsheet to come up with the – you've got your like all the details in there, and it's yep. just <laughs> – Yeah, it's, it's a spreadsheet we put together. The nice thing about it is when we're on a client call – all of our client calls are done remote. We've never been, we've never done one in person. So it's completely through a video conference, just like this. We'll pop, we'll listen to what they have to, you know, what, what their issues are at the beginning. And then as we're going through, by the end of the conversation, we pull our spreadsheet up, which we call our pricing calculator. We go through and based on this, 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 the client picks their own experience there. And then they've got the price right there. So they know exactly what it's going to cost if they want us to do their taxes versus, you know, having their current tax person, if they want us to do some of the accounting versus having their, their accountant do that or bookkeeper do that. And, and it so they, it's out a weekly price, yeah, it's right? Weekly price. As you, oh God, I love yeah. it. That's Client so love, they, they love it. They, you know, it's kind of like the Nirvana experience. Is it Nirvana the, with the car, with the car place? Carvana or something. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, you, where you type in your car comes, you know, popping out and it's the same type of experience. The client picks and chooses their their solution, which is completely different from one client to the next. I'll talk to one client. It'll be completely different. Next prospect, completely different. And then both they come up with a price that that actually is profitable for us and, and, and makes sense for them. I, I've never had a client not leave a prospect call and say, wow, that was uh, that was cool. We might not use you guys, but that was pretty cool. I, I appreciate you being so transparent with your pricing. They love it. And and you're not messing around with options or here's your three prices to choose from. You're you're really just telling them this is what you said, this is what we suggest, this is what you need, mm-hmm. and you know you, you got the freedom yeah. to. Their their options you know? are they do have options. Their options are one transactional, which we're not going to talk anything about the forecast in the future, which is a, what a typical accounting firm is now offering. And I'd say maybe ten percent of our clients have that. Not very many at all. We probably picked up three or four in the last five years. Outside of that, then it's it's based on the touch. So do we want a monthly touch or do we want a weekly touch? A monthly touch, we call it controller level. You could call it green level. It doesn't make a difference what the name is. 
And then the weekly touch, we call it CFO level, and you can call that blue level. I mean, we just named it. I mean, we just put a name on it. Doesn't mean using colors. Yeah, you can you can name it gold, silver. Oh, I love colors. Yeah, you can do any of that. Colors and numbers. So basically, your monthly versus your weekly, and that's the that's what we're trying to decide during the call what makes sense to them. And I'd say a company from a million to three million dollars probably just needs a monthly touch. Probably doesn't need anything more than that. At three million dollars, that's when they start really getting their kind of their board level people. I'd say board level like their CEO, CEO, marketing person, production person, whatever that might be. And so there's more people involved in the, in the conversation. And so we are part of a leadership team meeting at that point. And so it becomes like a weekly touch. And, and so it, it's monthly versus weekly. And that's kind of what we're trying to decide while we're listening to their conversation in the, in the first one. So how do you, you're performing a bunch of high advisory services. Mm-hmm. How do you get your employees and team like trained properly? Cause they're, sounds like they're doing you know, they're not doing a lot of low end where you send, sounds like you send that overseas. Right, right, right. So the, the accountants are fairly simple because, you know, they're, they're basically putting together financial statements, things they've or, they've already used to doing. So a brand new person coming in that wants to be an accountant for us, it's not going to be a ton of difference on what they would normally do. The only difference is now instead of doing it for one company, they're doing it for 10 companies you know, every single month and so forth. The only client facing part that they truly have is that they run our cash flow meetings. So our accountants will do our cash flow meetings in which they're meeting with the client for maybe half an hour a week going through, you know, ins and outs of their, you know, cash flow over the next 13 weeks. And so it's fairly simple to teach or train uh, those folks because a lot of them already come in with that experience or can handle that type of uh, thing. We typically don't hire people from one year to four years because they don't have that experience coming to them. So we're looking for four to 12. The CFOs are a little harder. Now, a CFO isn't what you call a traditional CFO, I would say. A CFO is somebody that's going to go over the forecast with the client. They're going to meet with the client. They're going to bring in the marketing. They're going to bring in, you know, they're going to ask, you know, get all this information from all the people to really present them with solid financial forecasting, you know, going forward. And with that, it takes a special person because it's not a typical accountant. A CFO is somebody that can actually talk to people, that can convey messages, that can read people, that can understand and really create that conversation. And unfortunately, a lot of our, a lot of us accountants can't do that or don't feel comfortable doing that. Kind of, It's outside of the box. Whereas a CFO, they do feel comfortable and that's what they want to do. So they want to be that that teacher. And, and it's a little different because when we bring new people in, we they go through a training seminar. We've got, we've got a 13 video you know episode kind of kind of going through hey here's all the different steps that we do here's what we here's how we work with the client here's what we do here's here's how to do a forecast and so forth and then they um they, they, they tag along with another cfo initially so they're listening and watching that cfo and then we put them on the client pretty quickly after they've uh they've come aboard and then we we sit and, and we'll review their we'll have them videotape it we'll review their call with the client and give them feedback. And, and so it's a pretty in-depth process. And we, we're always looking to make sure that we're delivering that same brand message from one CFO to the next. And that's, that's kind of tricky coming out. So they, we want to make sure that's not a typical, I would say, accountant that's delivering that, but we want to, we want to create that account that really enjoys speaking with people and going outside, you know, outside the box. A lot of firm owners are that way. Do a lot of the CFOs, do they come from the accountant side? of your firm or are they mostly like you kind of see that as two kind of completely different. So well, some, some people, you know, it, it really depends. Like we've got several CFOs that have come from, you know, they, they started as an accountant and they moved up and that works out really well. Some accountants that don't want to be a CFO and that's cool too. We've got a place for them too. So we don't push them. To, that's not like they have got to go to that next level. 
but we have we do hire some that actually have that skill and and can move up. However, the majority because of our growth, we you know we're growing about thirty five percent annually for probably since two thousand ten, and so it's it's a high growth. We don't have the time to groom everybody up from in, in, internally, so we've got to hire out, outside for a lot of our, our our CFOs, and so we're looking for the, you know those folks. You know it doesn't they don't have to be. 30 years of experience or anything like that, you know, they could be, you know, five, 10 years of experience that they have that ability to actually speak with people. Cause that those soft skills are the number one thing that we look for when with a CFO, we expect or kind of assume they understand accounting and uh, you know, it's just that, that ability to talk to people. That's the big key. And what are roughly like, how much do you pay an accountant versus a CFO roughly? Yeah. So, so an accountant, so it's kind of neat. So our accountants come in really depending upon what their experience level is. So it could be, 45 it could be 95 really there's a huge huge variety so we try to bring them in there and then that's what then we give them what we assign them what we call a base pay and so in addition to that base pay they get a variable pay based on the size of their business so if you're coming in at let's say a junior person maybe three years of experience and let's say you're at sixty thousand dollars and so that sixty thousand dollars is your base pay and we give you a range you know hey based on that here's the minimum book of business that you need to be managing but you know what if you're a rock star and you want to manage more, here's how much your pay is going to be. Here's your variable pay. Here's how much that's going to be to, to make up for that. And we, we, we design it in a way that someone coming in low and someone that's been there forever can make the exact same amount of pay. Part of it's going to be base and part of it's going to be variable because it's all based upon the, their, their size of book of business. So if they're managing an $800,000 business as an accountant, they can make $100,000. doesn't make any difference if they got three years of experience or four if, they, if they're managing and that managing well, they can, you know, their variable pay will make up for that difference. So it kind of puts everybody on a very equal plane, you know, and, and it takes away all kinds of discrimination. So we don't, in, on accident, we don't hire a, a woman lower than the man, not thinking about it and paying her lower forever because she's always been lower. No, from the very beginning, it doesn't make any difference what you come in at. We don't care. It's, you know, hey, here's what we need you to perform at. And boom, you perform at that level. You're making it the highest level that we can make it in, in, in the company. And again, it puts everybody on the equal plane. Similar type of thing for the CFOs. They start out at one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and uh, with that, they can, they can make variable pay of up to eighty thousand. So they can make over two hundred thousand dollars a year, based on again their book of business. If they want to cap out at six hundred thousand, not that million, that's fine. But here's what they're going to get paid. You know, so their pay again, it fluctuates based on uh, the book of business they're they're having, which makes it nice because then it can go up and down. So someone at the million dollar mark might go into a situation where maybe they're in a pregnancy or whatever, and they need to slow it down for a little bit. They can come back down, their variable pay comes down with it. So it's not like we're paying them this dollar way up here. And now they they're performing down here and we're losing money. They're actually, we're paying that base pay and their variable pay comes down to where it is. And they can kick it back up once they want to bring more clients on, or once we bring more clients on, or they want to increase their book. Is the variable pay effectively just a reposition of a bonus or is it? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You can call it a bonus or whatever you want to call it. It's based on the book of business. So we, we based on the size of the book. So you kind of mentioned earlier, like your profit percentage, but what's, so the firm's profit percentage is 28%? No, 72%. So the, the gross profit percentage of every client is, is tr roughly 72%. Now we do have those that are 80, 85%. We have those that are 50%, but the average is 72%. But gross profit means, so what does that mean? That means revenue minus the direct cost hours put into it by, uh, by the team. So direct team costs. And you're using those hours based on team pay, 
cut down to hours and the time that's being spent. And then afterwards you've got your overhead. Yeah. So overhead. Yeah. Well, so that includes a variable we, too. Like yeah. The, so we try to be, we try to maintain a company gross profit of 50% across the board. And that would include the, so what's above the line, everybody's pay, no matter if you've got it working on a client or not. So they're hundred percent of their pay. And then the software costs and the kind of technology or stipends, any kind of benefits and so forth. We try to maintain right that 50%. So if you get a 50% gross profit, we know that we have 25% admin costs and then we have 25% operating costs before owner, before owner count. Okay. So basically the firm before owner, so the owners are bringing in 25%. Correct. Mm-hmm. Roughly. There's just two owners. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. It's kind of cool. Good. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, so, so, so tell us, yeah. so everything you've done is awesome. And you, we know you've made a lot of mistakes along the way and that's how yeah. you learn. Mm-hmm. Tell us kind of like a couple secret sauce things that you think like really helped when you were kind of down. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it took you sounds like 12 years More to kind of, yeah. So what were like the big key learning things you learned along the way that made you so successful now? The, the biggest one I would say was how you price the product. So when we priced it off initially, you know, and, and I'm, I'm on the board of directors of the DCPA. And so I see what the average cast practice is, is, is doing. And it's like, Oh my gosh, how could you even, why would you even put that in there? I'd be so embarrassed to charge <laughs> that low, <laughs> you know, because you can't be profitable. And the problem is, and that's what we had was, we did our fixed fee and we're like high-fiving it. We're thinking this is great. And now we're stuck because you can't go back to a client a year later and say, you know, I screwed up and Ed, you should be four times as much as you're making. You know, as if we're going to change your price by four times. That That's not going to work. And so I think the key there is that you've got to figure out the pricing from the very beginning. And it took us a long time to figure that out because we always undervalued our stuff. We thought, you know, heck, we can do this really quick. And again, that hourly mentality, no matter we were doing fixed fee or not, we were still at the hourly mentality. And it's like, no, let's switch it around and say, hey, what are we replacing? So we're replacing part of an accountant, part of a tax person, part of a CFO, and kind of backing into it in that in that way to determine pricing. And then kind of comparing it to what you've averaged on the past, taking all your numbers in the past and figure out, well, how much time does it really take to do cash flow meetings? It takes four hours a week or whatever it is. So we need to have that as our bare minimum. We can't charge that. We got to, that's got to be our bare minimum. And then we've got to add the value on top of it and figure out what's important to the client. But the, the key there is, again, don't underprice the product because you will get yourself in a situation where we've got now you've got, I, I just talked to a guy, he had 750 clients and he does about $6 million in revenue. Which firm would you rather work for? One with 750 clients, six million, or one with nine million client, nine million dollars in revenue, 150 clients. You know, it's it's completely different. You know, because now our team can be focused on a smaller amount of clients, highly profitable, and, and be able to deliver a very solid service for them versus versus a firm that maybe has 80 clients or 60 clients a person, and you know maybe they don't touch them as much, but they're they're going all over the place pulling their hair out, and you can kind of see where my hair went, but pulling their hair out because of all those issues that they've got coming up. That's, you know, all these, all these different distractions are going, they're going through. So that that's a big thing I would say is pricing a product, pricing a service, you know, and just adding a big, huge addition to it, you know, whatever price you come up with, go a little bit higher uh, because you're going to find that when, when you get, when you start close, when your closing ratio start to get to around that 20% closing ratio, that's when you know, you've got a pretty solid price. 
Ours is right now, and I, and I say that we, we're averaging 65, 60 to $70,000 a client. Our, our average is still at 40%. So we're still closing about 40% of our clients, which again tells me that we're probably still a little too high or too, too low. I mean, and maybe need to increase a little bit more, but we're kind of holding for it for right now and seeing how that goes. But you know, it is what it is. We will close about 30 new clients a year, 30 to 40, somewhere in there at 40% closing ratio. You know, it, it, that's where you want to kind of, that's where you want to kind of build your practice. So you're not accepting a bunch of small clients that are just going to, going to kill you over time. You, you, you accept, you know, the, the little bit bigger clients and you really kind of manage the bigger, bigger engagements a little bit more. How do you spend your time? Um, I spend my time on podcasts like this. <laughs> I spend my time, actually, I'd say probably uh, 60%, 70% of all the prospect calls that come in, that they come in through me and I handle those typically. I spend my time in meetings with uh, the directors. I bill about, I'd say five hours a month, probably tops. And what I, what I mean by billing, I, I'm, I'm attending five different client meetings a month and those are... Well, my wife's one of my clients, so I got to attend that meeting, and then four oh, friends, and you know, probably the like worst that. client. Yeah, oh, yeah, friends. Yeah, that's that's a death client. <laughs> yeah, so well, it's, guys that you've grow, had a relationship with over time. Yeah, forever. You, you don't want to let go of that relationship personally, probably. Yeah, and I don't do any of the work for them. So I, you know, see accountants do that underneath, and I kind of train the next uh, possible CFO. You know, they'll be working on the account, and they'll hear me talk to the person. And they'll kind of hear what's going on. And, and so it's kind of a training ground I use it for. Yeah, I, I probably will never get rid of those five clients until they sell. It used to be seven. Two of them sold this last year. So now I got five. So kind of a fun time. So the rest of it is just simply built, working on my business there, making sure that everything's going well. Design your firm and design your life at the same time. It sounds like mm -hmm. all of this stuff happened by design. Yeah, I, I'd say design and luck. There's a lot of luck that goes into everything, but uh the other thing is just taking taking advantage of that luck. Opportunities are always going to come up, and you seize it. Be able to pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah. For a firm that's kind of starting out on this journey, kind of where you were in two thousand and two, two thousand four. Mm -hmm. Other than you've told us pricing super important, kind of give us a couple other little nuggets. Man, I got other questions than than just. I know, but he might have to up. like you know do something else today. <laughs> oh, I, I can talk as long as you guys want. I, I would say the biggest thing is because we have a lot of firms that go through our program because we we are we've been teaching and trying to get firms to to make this conversion for the last question. four years, four or five years. And I, I've been going to different seminars, kind of teaching them how to do it, which is kind of weird because you know it's like an accounting firm teaching you how to be successful and here's how you do it. It makes a lot of sense to us because the more firms that are out there doing what we do. Uh, the better it's going to be for everyone uh, because it's going to mean it's going to be coming more of a norm. And, you know, and then there's more for everything. You know, it's kind of like the Burger King and the McDonald's. When you stop, when, when you're driving down the road, you see one Burger King right there at the stop. You know, you, you, you tend to, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pass it because I see down, you know, maybe three, three miles more down the road, there's all these different restaurants. And so you, you pass that one Burger King and you go to all these different restaurants and guess what? You end up going to the Burger King at the other stop. <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of the same. It's the same philosophy because when there's more out there, it becomes normal for clients, and, and and that's what we want this to become become normal. So what happens with with these firms? So kind of backing up. So we want this to be normal for everybody, and so we're teaching firms how to do it. And what we see is that a lot of firms will go through our course. They'll figure things out. They'll think this is great. I love this idea, but they never do anything. 
and because uh-huh. they, they want to be perfect. And, and I would say the biggest thing is you're never going to be perfect. Just do it. You know, just start. I mean, when we started, we had no money. I mean, I didn't have any, I didn't have a big, huge wad of cash to start a CPA firm. You know, I started it, bootstrapped it. I did what I had to do to figure out how to get there. When we went to the subscription-based model, it wasn't because I was a genius and thought, oh, this is great. It was because I had any money. I could be the bank. <laughs> so I had to figure out a way that we could actually provide this service and not be the bank. And clients loved it. You know, we just zapped their money every, Wednesday, every Monday. They, they love that. I mean, it, it wasn't a pushback. It wasn't the fear was, oh, no one's going to want it. That fear, you got to get that fear out of your head. Just kind of push, push forward towards the fear. So I would say the biggest thing is, is just doing it, just starting it. You know, just making making it happen. Don't be afraid of the outcome. Don't don't let your own fears justify the end there. You know, this is the perfect year for everyone to increase their pricing. And it's because, you know, staffing is short. Inflation's starting to kick in. You know, employees, the great resignation is causing everybody to make sure that they pay their employees more. Well, this is the perfect time to, to increase your pricing uh, this year, maybe a little bit more than what you would normally do because of all of that. Don't let all of that decide, well, the clients are never going to pay any more for it. Well, the, they have to because you're, you've got to keep your profitability there. Otherwise, your service is going to go down. So price your product accordingly and increase your prices this year. You know, So all those kind of fears, people are thinking, you know, hey, clients are never going to want to do that. They won't because you'll never offer it to them. So you know, don't be that person that's not going to do that. And then that client comes to me and says, you know, hey, my client, my, my accountant's great, but you guys know what you're doing and you're doing it well. And we want to pay you you know, not 20,000 a year, but 80,000 a year to have us do it. When, when you yourself could have done that yourself, you didn't need the client to go to me to figure that out. You want to keep that client yourself and, and provide that service for them. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is just simply going out and do it. Don't let them go to me or, or another CP, or CFO firm, you know, do it yourself, figure out how to work it out. And, and if you have any questions about it, you know, give me a call. I'll be happy to talk to them, help them out with that. I feel like they, it's, Patience and perspective over perfection. Yes. Yeah, that's what I worked out based on what you said. Like, you, you know, it's never going to be perfect. So go right. to have some patience to experiment with stuff and figure and out what's going to work. Perfect. They try to do and everything the perfectly. Perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the perspective, the longer game and the longer perspective on how is this going to, what's the downstream impact of not doing it right. versus just doing it? Like, what's the worst that could happen if it's not perfect? Exactly. I think you, you summed that up perfectly. Yeah, that's, you know, and it's it's a bummer too, because everybody can do it. It's just a matter of, do they want to take that risk? Because it's a risk. It's different. It, it's fear of failure. So you got three podcasts and, and you got this firm's program. Tell us how maybe a firm or listener could, if they want to join your program or, or what they want to listen, like what, what would you suggest of your yeah, platform. so we, we've got three podcasts. One talks about our 401k audits, which, again, we do a small, I, we do about well, that's 10%, interesting. 10% of our revenue on 401k audits. Yeah. For those that enjoy audits, that's perfect for them. For me, it's not. I don't enjoy audits. But uh, uh, the other two, we have a podcast designed specifically for our niche, the creative agency space. And then the, the third one is for accounting firms like your listeners here that can uh, really kind of help or figure out ways to get into the CFO side. And so we, really talk extensively, bring guests in, all that kind of stuff for that. A, a lot of that is you could probably, without even you know spending a dime with us, which you could probably learn so much from those podcasts 
And we do a ton of webinars also. Every month we put on a webinar on a different topic from pricing to marketing to you name it. You know, we just kind of open up our book and explain how to, how to do this. And, and you could probably without, like I said, without paying anything at all, you could probably learn enough on there to really kind of kickstart your business. And so if you want that extra help and you want to go through our 13 week course, we'd be happy to hop on our website uh, and, and sign up at uh, summit www.summitcpa.net. And we'd be happy to help you in that regard. But I would take advantage of all the free stuff before I would do any of the, the paid stuff. Cause like I said, you'd probably gain a lot of information from there that would probably help you help you and steer you in the right direction. So the modern CPA show is the, is the one that a listener could listen to. Yep. Slide a link for the show notes. Wow. So how about the book books? That you've written, yeah. So I've I've got two of them. Uh, that, that, like, like I was telling you earlier, they're probably the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And you think about that building. I could imagine. Firm, yeah, hardest thing was writing a book. Re- talking's easy, right? Talking's easy for yeah, you. You can talk all day, simple. but fucking writing. Oh, geez, I could talk forever. That first one I did by myself, and I, and I being by myself, I wrote the chapters by myself. I did it from scratch. Never written a book before in my life. Uh, a lot of articles and everything, but never a book. And then I had. You know, I, I got to a point where I thought this is perfect, and I sent it to an editor, and then she marked it all up. <laughs> I thought, wow, how unperfect it actually is. <laughs> you know, after my perfect version, and um, I thought, you know what, this that person needs to be my marketing director, so I hired her, <laughs> and she, so she was oh. she became my marketing director out of that, which is kind of funny. And that was a book towards the creative agency space. And after I after I read it, I liked it. I thought, oh, this is a pretty decent book. And then the second book was more towards the accountants, you know, how to become a CPA firm, a virtual CFO firm. At that point, it was from, you know, the tagline was from, you know, $500,000 in revenue to 5 million. And that was like two years ago. Now we're closing to 10 million. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, the expansion. Yeah, do a million fun. to 10 million is your next follow-up book, right? Yeah, I had to do a yeah. follow-up on that two years later. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, so it's kind of funny, but that one was a lot easier because I had her, just ask tons of questions. And she really kind of helped me write the book, which was really nice. Um, you know, so she would ask tons of questions in my own words and she'd write it, she'd transcribe it. Then I would look at it and say, I really do speak really poorly. And I'd <laughs> change it around and we'd, we'd mold mold it to the book that we had. And it was uh, it, it's a pretty good one there. It's called building the virtual CFO from the cloud, you know, and then the, the first one was digital dollars and cents. We, Two different books, uh, both were probably the, the second one was a lot easier than the first one, but by, by far the hardest things I've done. Did you learn a lot about yourself writing those? And then did it make you a better speaker? Oh, it did for sure. Because I, I took a lot of the material uh, for my speaking engagements and I pushed those into the book and so, and vice versa. And so it, it came both ways. And so there's, there's a, a teaching component, right? So when you teach people how to do things, you really learn a lot about that. And that's what the big thing about the speaking engagements were. And that really helped me again for the book itself. And so you, you, you learn a lot about things that you, you, you say that, you, you know, just d- different ways that you're speaking. First of all, you learn there's a lot of things in there that you can kind of change and, and a lot of things that you can kind of improve on, which everybody thinks they speak really great or not great. I was horrible. And uh, with that, it was pretty obvious when I wrote, when I wrote the book. But it, it put everything in, in, in a good mindset and so that I could then use those materials again to um, you know, speaking points and different, you know, speaking engagements. So yeah, I, I would say I, I learn basically how to speak with how to speak to people, which is a little different than how to write, write to people, I guess, if you, if that's how the, how you're supposed mm-hmm. to say it, but, uh, both were definitely enlightening. When did you switch to summit and 
did Indiana allow that? Like, what was the issues there? We did it right out of the gate. Uh, So I I didn't want my name associated with the company. So I I wanted it to be bigger than Grundon CPA firm or Grundon and Hale CPA firm or Hale and Grundon. I wanted it to be something bigger. And in Summit, I thought this is really cool. Summit's actually a nickname for Fort Wayne, the Summit City. You know, it's kind of weird. Uh, you wouldn't think of that in Fort Wayne, but I thought, well, I'll take that as, as kind of my name, Summit CPA. And I thought, let's add group on there. We got a group of two, you know, and so we started with a group and it just kind of gave that, it, it, it gave that bigger than, you know, one or two person shop. And, and it just kept growing and growing and growing as we, as we grew as a, uh, as a firm, we really filled it up pretty quickly. And so that was the, uh, the whole idea is to make, because I, I wanted to attract people because of Summit, not because of Jody or Adam or anybody else on the team, because I wanted it to be more brand, you know, company brand name versus partner brand name. You know, we're partners and partners of a CPA firm. They, they, they're the, the rainmakers, right? They're the ones bringing all the clients. And, and that's the, tr- the traditional method there. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted com- people coming to us because of Summit CPA Group. Yeah, and, and we do have that. And so all, all the prospects that call, we don't do any kind of outbound marketing. Everything is inbound. People are coming to us mm-hmm. for the service, which is really different than a traditional CPA firm. We actually, where that partners go out and they're at the, the country club or they're at the, uh, you know, the chamber of commerce meeting, you know, whatever. We, we want to avoid that because I didn't enjoy that type of thing. I wanted them to come to us since we had, we had to create that brand awareness. And so we did that from the very beginning. Yeah. You've been amazing. We are going to have to have you back. Cause I, we've got a lot, I've got a lot more questions on how you run the firm. Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to come back anytime you want. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. It's amazing what you've done and uh, real inspiration for a lot of CPA firms. Patience, well, perspective, perseverance, and positioning. Oh, I can kill it with these with P seven words. P's. Yeah. Jody, you've been amazing. Thank you thanks, so much. Jody. We'll have you back. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, kids. Do you like operations? It's Wednesday accounting high, talking systems and processes, talking shop about operational balances, accounting, workbench to workflow challenges, hybrid teams for Pete's sake. I'm trying to manage through screens, but I can't figure out what Zoom windows my next meeting. And Dr. K says, Acuity uses EOS. Uh-huh. Entrepreneurial operating system. Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud. Join us as we go deep. I'll try not to run it to the ground. We're sharing profit and loss and managing back office attacks. Staff just quit, tried to hire on LinkedIn, no luck. And scope creep team count cast, automate tax, compliance transactions, ID and bottlenecks. Come on, ops. Scotty, wait a minute, it's my firm, dog. I know, and I said you could run it however you want. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shoperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shoperations at accounting hi classes in session it's time for shop operations at accounting hi